Welcome. The parish is a church community in Alpharetta, Georgia, practicing the way of Jesus for the sake of others. Talks like these are just one part of how we gather to be deeply reshaped by Jesus. So we invite you to join us any Sunday morning for a full church gathering. You can find more information or contact us by visiting our website at parishanglican.org. Well, uh, we have been spending the first month or two of this new year just talking about who we are as a community and how we can be uh, how we can shine a light on various parts of our community. You've heard me say that. This morning, we're gonna hear a little bit from Mike Nelson. If you do not know Mike, Mike is one of our vestry members. Our vestry is like the board of the church. Uh, it is sorta, kinda. Uh, <laughs> and so Mike is uh, Mike and his wife, Beth, are both on the vestry and uh, are, are pivotal voices in our church community. They also are founding members of the parish. They've been here a real long time. And, uh, and so from, from that posture of who Mike is, he's gonna share a little bit with us as a community uh, about where we are specifically around our finances. So let's welcome Mike and uh, we'll let him have the floor for a bit. Wow, thank you. Am I on? Can you hear me? So thank you, Jordan. Yeah, it's kind of funny that um, we're, you know, we're saying, wow, we're kind of getting pretty full, getting parking space issues, so let's have Mike talk about money, and that'll, like, totally clear out <laughs> a lot of spaces. Uh, but, but I'm actually truly, truly excited to be here talking about finances today. If you think about it, you know, as Jordan mentioned, my wife and I have been on the vestry for just a while. And for those of you that are new here, you may not know, but the parish went through some pretty tough times about two or three years ago. Um, times that included uh, a leadership change and then pandemic, which is tough for everyone. And then we were rendered buildingless in the middle of the pandemic. So all this stuff was happening and uh, as a leadership team, it just, it felt like we were emergency room doctors. Just all we could do is deal with what was bleeding the worst, you know? And um, it, was, it was kind of a crazy time to be part of leadership. But now we're here in the Kalen Center, and there's this, this real sense that we're back on solid ground, and that we're out of the ER, in a sense, and that we're now talking about what does long-term care and long-term health look like in our community. And so it's from that posture I say, yes, I'm so glad to be talking about stuff like that. And that does include uh, finance. And so what we're gonna do is I'm, I'm gonna talk today about kind of the spiritual heart behind giving. It's something that I'm extraordinarily passionate about. I, I, I was telling Jordan, you know, I'm like, how long do I have? Five or ten minutes? Because I, I could do a weekend on this. I really could. I'm not going to, but I could. Um, but, um, but I'm so passionate about it because there's so much that can happen in that. Um, so I'm going to talk about that next week. Um, the world-renowned Andy Colt will be here. Uh, to talk a little bit more about kind of what are the, the present and tangible needs of our community as it relates to giving. And then we'll also have a town hall meeting after the last service, is that right, Jordan, of next week. And uh, that's where Ryan Fetz is gonna get really kind of detailed, really granular, um, again, about what those tangible and, and present needs are. So I kind of, I was telling Andy this morning, I'm like, I got the easy part, I got to do the rah-rah the stuff. Um, but I really mean it, I really, I really feel this. And, before I get into that, I, I do want to name the fact, kind of the elephant in the room, that 
within the capital C church, there is unfortunately a history of people misusing the name of God and doing so in the name of extracting money from the congregation and lining their own pockets. And that, I, I want to name that because that grieves me. It grieves our Heavenly Father. And that's just out there. But I want us to hold that, but I also want us to know that there is a very real spiritual blessing to giving. I mean, if you were to read the whole Bible from Genesis to maps, as I used to say, you would come to the conclusion, or you have a hard time not coming to the conclusion, that God, uh, anything other than God wants us to give. He wants us to give some portion of our finances back to him. And so it is a biblical directive. But I want to reframe it today as not only a biblical directive. I want to reframe it today as a spiritual discipline. I want to put it up there with things like fasting, solitude, meditation, all of those disciplines that help lead us in our path of formation to becoming more like Jesus. And I would argue that, that, uh, that this is actually one of the more tangible ways, one of the more tangible spiritual disciplines uh, that can form us like Christ. It's actually, I would even argue, this is the, one of the easiest ways we can become more like Christ. To wit. Is it easier for... Let me tell you, it's easier for me, at least, to write a check than it is to consider others as more important than myself um, or any of the other biblical directives that I seem to trip and stumble over. So that, it's from that posture uh, that I say that. So when we reframe it as a spiritual discipline, what we can really frame it as is this is an invitation from our Heavenly Father to trust him. And so I want to do another, I'm going to ask you all a question. If you agree with this statement, you don't like actually raise your hand, but in your mind, all right, mentally raise your hand if you agree with this statement, all right? Mentally raise your hand if you agree with this statement. <clears throat> I wish I had more money. I saw a lot of mental hands go up in the room. Yeah, so that's what's kind of strange about giving is like, we all kind of wish we had more money, and yet giving away money off the top doesn't seem to be a robust strategy to grow your money. And so that's one reason giving really is kind of tough to talk about, and it's tough to hear about. Um, but that's also why, as we think about giving as an act of trust, that's when I, I feel my, my Heavenly Father kind of kneel down to eye level. And I say, Lord, this doesn't make sense. And he goes, I know. I know. Trust me. Okay, okay, I'll do it. And in the same way that uh, a parent or a mentor might direct us to do something that may not make sense on paper, our Heavenly Father directs us to become givers because it's so much more than dollars and cents. It's so much more than bank accounts and spreadsheets and budgets. It's about what's going on in our heart. It's about an act of trust. And so what's so cool about this is as we grow in trust, of our Heavenly Father, or if we grow in trust of anybody, we grow in relationship, right? Because as trust grows, so does intimacy. As intimacy grows, relationship deepens. And that's why I'm so insanely passionate about giving, because what starts as kind of this very dry or even challenging directive to give, if you follow the line, 
it ends as something very beautiful, something very intimate with our Heavenly Father. And that's why, that's why I'm here to talk about this. That's why I'm so passionate about it, guys. And I want to be clear, this is not something that I want as the vestry that I want from you. I want this for you. I want all of us, I want this community to be a community of givers because of what it does inside our hearts. I was even thinking as I was kind of preparing uh, this little talk that I thought, you know, if, if, the, if the parish somehow won the lottery, though we shouldn't because gambling's a sin, Jordan, don't do that. <laughs> but if we could. His mercy. <laughs> nice, touche. And, and we were just flush with cash. I would still want everybody in this community to be givers because of what it does inside of us. So later, uh, later on in the service, Jordan is going to talk about what it means to kind of live as a community that has open hearts. And what I would ask of you is that you allow your heart to remain open to this invitation to be a giver because remember this invitation is the invitation to trust your Heavenly Father even though it may or may not make sense on paper because that is when he starts to come through. That's when you begin to trust him more and more. Okay, friends, go ahead and find your way back to your seats. And uh, as you head back to your seats, I'm going to call Keith Jennings up. And Keith is going to lead us in our scripture reading this morning. Last week, we spent time in 1 Corinthians 12, and we'll actually uh, read just a few verses from that this morning, and then we'll uh, move into 1 Corinthians 13 from there. And so let's uh, give our attention to Keith as he leads us in God's word for us this morning. The way God designed our bodies is a model for understanding our lives together as a church, every part dependent on every other part. The parts we mention and the parts we don't. The parts we see and the parts we don't. If one part hurts, every other part is involved in the hurt and in the healing. If one part flourishes, every other part enters into the exuberance. Now you are Christ's body. That's who you are. You must never forget this. Only as you accept your part of that body does your part mean anything. And yet... Some of you keep competing for so-called important parts. But now I want to lay out a far better way for you, the way of love. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and making everything plain as day, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, or what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut, doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others, isn't always me first, doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't keep score of the sins of others, doesn't revel when others grovel, takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything, trusts God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going to the end. Love never dies. Inspired speech will be over someday. Praying in tongues will end. Understanding will reach its limit. We know only a portion of the truth, and what we say about God is always incomplete. But when the complete arrives, our incompletes will be canceled. When I was an infant at my mother's breast, I gurgled and cooed like any infant. When I grew up, I left those infant ways for good. We 
don't yet see things clearly. We're squinting in a fog, peering through a mist, but it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright. We'll see it all then. See it all as clearly as God sees us, knowing him directly, just as he knows us. But for right now, until that completeness, we have three things to do to lead us toward that consummation. Trust steadily in God, hope unswervingly, love extravagantly, and the best of the three is love. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Keith. All right. Well, we, uh, as I said, are talking a lot these opening weeks about being a community, living in God's light. And uh, I know I'm mindful of the fact that we've already uh, done a bit of talking, so fear not. This will be fairly brief this morning. Um, But uh, as we talk about being a community, sharing life openly with one another, being the new family of Jesus... That's what motivates us to talk about things like volunteers. That's what motivates us to talk about things like finances. Uh, I want to name many of the church communities I've been a part of, like you don't hear about finances till there's a financial problem, right? And then all of a sudden it's like everything's about finances. Uh, We actually are trying to just find dedicated calendar times where we talk about finances in the same way we would with our families. Like like let's just uh, talk about budgeting or my wife and I were talking about our budget and things that we're hoping to do this year just yesterday. Right, And so what we're trying to do is make this part of our family conversation, not in ways that are just always happening, uh, but in ways that happen regardless of whether uh, we're in a strong financial position or a struggling financially position. Right now, as Mike said, we're actually on more solid footing than we've been on a lot in the last few years, and there's still some need, there's still some room to grow. But I just want to name that. Like, the reason that we're having these conversations is because we really mean it that we want to be a body of Christ, a community that lives together, uh, and a community that is open-hearted toward one another, open-handed in the way of Jesus, and, uh, and, and sharing life together. And so we'll keep talking about that, but I want to try to just finalize some thinking around how we aspire to be as a community Um, And we've spent several weeks talking about our questions, our expectations, our hearts, our longings, our hopes for community, and some of the ways that that is both good and can get us into some trouble. And we're trying to lay a groundwork. We're trying to set a mindset of how we imagine community together, because as we get into the later spring, we have some really tangible, specific plans that we hope to share with you, invite you into, of how we hope to be a community in large group environments, in mid-sized group environments, in smaller group environments, uh, in order that the life of Christ might be formed more deeply in us. So we're wanting to get our hearts right as we uh, prepare to take those steps. So for now, this will be the final week on, on this, and perhaps we'll come back to it later on in the spring, but I'd like to just share a few thoughts on an imagination for the type of community I hope we might become. Um, my, a, a positive vision, perhaps, of, of who I hope we are becoming as a group of people. And uh, last week, if you were with us, we, we really dove into the 1 Corinthians 12 part of the passage that Keith just read, and uh, we sat around that passage, which is, is so rich, so full, we could spend a lot of time there. Um, and I want to recap briefly that where we landed with it, 
the few takeaways we did offer is that in the body of Christ, in Paul's vision of the body of Christ, everybody gets to belong, everybody gets to play, meaning give and receive of love, give and receive of their gifts. Um, not a one-way transactional relationship, but a place of mutuality in relationships. Everybody gets to hurt. Everybody gets to heal. And we're going to focus on those last two in our remaining time this morning. Not only is everyone allowed to hurt. In the body of Christ, everyone will hurt at times. Not only is everyone allowed to heal. In the body of Christ, everyone will be a part of the healing at various times. And, uh, and so I want to say this, like relationships are deeply spiritual work, deeply spiritual work. We don't want to buy into a Gnostic notion that like spiritual is up there and then we've got all the material, ordinary stuff down here. No, no, no. God's in the midst of the relationships. God comes to us through the relationships and often relationships are the place where both we are invited into deep formational work and we get to be a part of others' formational work. And so in that way, true community is an act of resistance in the world we find ourselves in today. It's an act of resistance because everything in the culture around us and everything in my uh, self-referenced, false self way of being is inclined to think about me in the center. And of course, we cannot recreate relationships that way. And then simultaneously, there are these primary fractures that are at work to undercut the formation of community. Of course, there is the way of sin, the power of sin at work in the world that is, uh, is, is, is around us, is a reality. And then the, the scriptures bear witness to spiritual powers and principalities, these invisible uh, but very real forces at work against the flourishing and unity of humanity, right? And we certainly see that uh, in the world around us, though we cannot see it in the world around us, right? And then add to that my own wounds, my own baggage, my own stuff, my own self-reference tendencies. And you put all of that together, and these things undercut community. And so to show up as community in the new family of Jesus, it's going to necessarily involve both a belonging and a becoming, it's going to involve a collective journey through my false self in the territory uh, of, of my woundedness and in the company of you. It's going to be us living as relationally reconciling people, resisting our own reactivity, letting go of disordered narratives, of our triggers, of our core lies, learning how to embrace healthy conflicts, learning how to reverse the cycles of offense, the cycles of violence that comes so naturally to us. We want to find healing so that we can show up increasingly whole toward one another and move toward one another in the way that heaven ends stories. Heaven always ends stories with truth and forgiveness. And how might we move toward one another in those ways? And so community is going to involve my work and it's going to involve your work. It's gonna involve my hurt and your hurt. And sometimes that surprises us because when you come to a new group or you're a part of a new thing, it feels exciting. It feels like there's a sense of shared purpose. It feels like, uh, you know, there's this sense of unity. And then at some point, community brings us to a point of pain and chaos and confusion and emptiness. And this is the hardest and most critical part of us sharing life together. Because will we punch out? Will we press in? And what do we do when our expectations don't match our lived pain? We have to grieve. Right? Like all I know to do is say we have to grieve. We have to name that wound before it names us. 
We realize that people in our lives are not problems to be solved, but rather what we need to do is lament and release. We need to let grief and grace mind the gap between what I expected and what is being actually experienced. And we empty ourselves of our demands, of our prejudices, of our preconceptions, of our quick fixes, of our controlling tendencies to make you see things the way I see them. And we trade in our hot takes and we take up a lifestyle instead of patient, influential presence in the lives of others, which just involves me showing up to you over the long haul and you showing up to me over the long haul and trusting that God's in the middle of that. And so when we apply that to the parish, I wanna say this, like when my vision for community at the parish is not that this would be a pain-free place, but instead would be a community of wounded healers. A community of wounded healers uh, because that's reality, <laughs> that's life. There will be pain. Brene Brown uh, says, one of my favorite things she says is that church community is not the epidural making the pain go away. Church community is the midwife saying, push, this is supposed to hurt, but something is being born here. Something is being birthed in our midst. And so is it possible for us to see the disrupting, painful thing, yes, as painful, and yes, maybe as not how it was supposed to be, and yet not something we have to eradicate as quickly as possible, which is typically the only thing I know how to do with my pain is just get rid of it, but instead to have eyes to see that possibly even Christ is entering through the door I think is a barrier. Christ is entering through the relationship that's driving me crazy. Christ is entering through, uh, you know, the, the things that have not panned out the way I expected them to. And we need that imagination to keep pushing through. Because when we're hurt by others, we pull away. And, and of course, rightfully so in many cases, healthfully so in many cases. Uh, and yet what we do is not only pull away from the person who is hurting us or has hurt us, we pull away from everybody, Right? And, and we make this subtle, unconscious vow, like, I will not put myself in a position to let that happen again. And yet, it is in the voice of the other that I hear the voice that calls me the beloved. And so, ironically then, I know people may hurt me deeply, and yet I need people for healing, Right? In my pain, I need you standing with me, and in your pain, you need me standing with you because to the extent that our brokenness is relationship gone wrong, our healing is going to involve some degree of relationship gone right. That's just how it works. It's gonna need to include something that changes that story. And so I wanna say again, none of what I'm saying, just to make this painfully clear, I've said this a few weeks, but it, it needs to be named, none of this is to minimize or excuse deeply unhealthy or toxic relationships or deeply unhealthy or toxic communities or deeply unhealthy or toxic churches, right? Uh, we should remove ourselves from toxic, abusive relationships in our lives. It is right and good to set up those kinds of boundaries. And if you're in that kind of a relationship or you've gone through that kind of church pain, know that that's not what I'm talking about here. That needs to be talked about too. I'd love to have a cup of coffee with you. Let's talk about that. Let's do discernment work on that. What I'm talking about is just the ordinary sandpaper of sharing life together. And I'm saying we need to learn to press in, right? And so authentic community involves difference, it involves chaos and struggle and pain, and we're honest that we are walking in the darkness, and we don't see it in full yet, 
and that's how we hurt. But we're also honest with this. We have seen a great light. We are not left to our own devices. We are not left to our self-reference tendencies. The Holy Spirit is breaking into our lives, inviting us into increasing wholeness. And so authentic community will also involve empathy and peacemaking and justice and patience and renewal. And that is how we heal. That is how we heal. And joy will come in the morning. Right? And what emerges on the other side of the painful, hard, difficult conversations where we realize we have to press in and find a way forward to share life together and bend around each other and hurt for each other's sake, what emerges on the other side of that is a relationship that has deep roots. Here's how one person describes it. Um, if you go to the next one for me, Isaac. This, this soft quietness can descend on a group that has been through that kind of struggle. It is a kind of peace. And members begin to speak of their deepest and most vulnerable parts, and others will simply listen. There will be tears of sorrow, of joy, and an extraordinary amount of healing begins. And, and friends, we are already and are continuing to become a community like that. And I see it all over the place, and I love it. And now we know that our community can weather the storm We've got deep roots, right? So like, like we went through the storm and we're still here. So let the wind blow. It's okay. We've got deep roots in love. We're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. And it's almost like resurrection then. On the other side of Friday's loss and Saturday's silence, there is an Easter morning in our relationships where we realize that despite all these hard things we've talked about in the last few weeks, the end is not futility, the end is not cynicism, the end is not disillusionment, the end is a well-rooted hope that God is with us in these relationships. And so that brings us to love, and we'll, we'll sort of start to wind this down and come to the table and I think it's fascinating that Paul finishes his manifesto on Christian community and then immediately proceeds into the love chapter. Right? Have you noticed that connection? Because we cannot have community without love and we cannot have love without community. Like if you look at the Trinity, ultimate perfect love in God, and what do they do with it? They immediately go and create a larger community, the overflow of love. And so we are going to need the overflow of that communal trinity's love showing up in our lives so that we can stick together in the wilderness. And in the final analysis, um, we do well. And this is what we've been trying to say the last few weeks. We do well to have our deepest hopes, our deepest expectations placed in the love of God, not the love of each other. That's where we find our ultimate healing. He is the one we've been waiting for. And we should say that for us to be a community in the way of Jesus, we should maximize, not minimize, our own call to love one another, our own call to mimic God's kind of love, because that's how we're going to find a way forward. Like, if we're ever going to get through the political culture wars of this moment that we find ourselves in, if we're ever going to unburden our own stories and move past our own pain and find ways into increasing integration and wholeness in the way of Jesus... We're going to have to learn to love, like capital L, love each other. And this is something many of us are not taught. The only way to do it is to like find a way to stumble forward together into it. And, uh, and, and that's the direction I think our community's heading. I want to give us an, an image to end this conversation. 
an image that I think is maybe a, a picture of the path to wholeness that I hope for, for our community. And um, it's a form of art that I think is almost a parable for us, uh, the art of kintsugi. Uh, and, and maybe you're familiar with this. This is a bowl that has been uh, handed, handled and mended by a kintsugi master. In the West, when something breaks, we do two things with it. We fix it so that it looks like it was never broken, or we throw it away. It's all we know how to do with it. But in the Japanese tradition of kintsugi, there's something different that's done. The brokenness is placed in the hands of a master artisan, and he uses a special lacquer, and he puts the whole thing back together again. But rather than make it look like it was never broken, the kintsugi master actually accentuates the flaws. They don't hide the flaws. They use a gold dust on the edges of the crack in order to make it more evident that it was once broken and now has been put back together in the hands of care. And this actually ends up making the piece more valuable than when it started, like actually monetarily more valuable because now it's got gold in it, right? But it also honors the history and gives dignity to the story while giving a path forward. And I wonder if that might be our vision of what it looks like to be in community with one another. Julian of Norwich says, first there is the fall, and then there is the redemption from the fall, and both are the mercy of God. Both are the mercy of God. Or otherwise said, our sins are many, but his mercy is more. It's more. And in the hands of God, in the hands of the people God gives us, could something new be born in the pain of our story, the brokenness of our story? And for us to do this as a community, it's going to require paradigm shifts, it's going to require patience, it's going to require tenderness, uh, and it's going to call us to treasure that which is still in repair, that which is still being handled by the master artisan. But it invites us to see uh, new possibilities, new possibilities. There's a guy named Makoto Fujimura, and uh, he's a theologian at Fuller. And he says this about Kintsugi. He says, imagine a church that when somebody walks in and they tell their stories of fracture, instead of saying, oh, we have a program to help you, or instead of saying, oh, I'm so sorry, but we welcome you here because eventually you can become like us, what if instead the whole community held the fractures together as a Kintsugi master would? And maybe some traumas require several generations, but what if we had a place where our broken hallelujahs can be embraced and invited? And we could say, praise God you're here because your fragment is so unique and we need you and we want to be a mending community here, healing together because all of us are broken, but our pieces are being held up to the light and we join one another there. And so, wounded healers then, Recognize that beauty is not revealed in the elusive arrangements that keep every piece and passion and person perfectly in line together, but instead in the curation and tending of painful scars becoming present, precious. And wounded healers then see our scars as more than moments to deny or despise or be defined by, but rather as the defining points in the resurrection narrative God is writing which honors the fractures 
and brings new value and authority to our whole story. And finally, wounded healers see then that the path to wholeness is not a life or heart or community that was never broken, but rather in belovedness once misplaced and now masterfully held back together in redemptive healing. Let's pray. Jesus, we bring our collective fractures into the company of one another and into the light of Christ. And we say that it is not anything but Jesus that holds us together. And in the overflow of the baptism of belovedness, would you form increasing wholeness in the context of this wilderness? And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.